Danielle Houston. I'm the host of the podcast, The Checkup. I am a benefits advisor at Propel Insurance, and we are recording an update today on legislative issues here in Washington State. And Zach Snyder, who many of you have downloaded his previous episodes, we should have a special title for Zach at this point because he does come and share often about what's happening in Washington, and he's back because today is a great opportunity to talk a little bit about what his predictions were coming into this last legislative session that is now over, and then do a really interesting look ahead. So we're gonna talk a little bit about healthcare, We're gonna talk about his watch list for 2020, what's coming down the road. He's gonna leave us all feeling incredibly optimistic about the future of Washington, and he may just inspire you to get out and vote. Welcome, Zach. That's right, Danielle. I hope (laughs) that after our discussion today, your listeners will wanna get involved in this process because employers should have a voice at the table in these healthcare debates. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot at stake, right? I mean, these things, kind of to one of your points, as we have talked through many of these over a few different episodes now, they cost money, and that money is not a, a resource without end. That's right. In the state of Washington, we have unlimited wants and desires when it comes to healthcare because we want to help people and we want to be good stewards. However, we have finite resources, so the dance here that legislators are faced with is how do we prioritize those finite resources? Yeah, and it's a discussion where not everybody's going to be a winner, and there are going to be some, you know, definite losers, but a lot of compromise, and hopefully a lot of compromise, right? Probably one of the main goals. Yeah, we'll see. There's a over a hundred people that need to come to agreement here before these legislative proposals become enacted into law, but. The Democrats, they, they have their majority in the state of Washington, and if last session is any lesson, this next year they're going to have a lot more proposals on the table and they're going to be able to achieve many of their goals. So let's talk about the last session because you made some predictions and you talked about some of the big things that were on the table. That session is closed. Where do we stand? Yeah, that's right. So last session was a blockbuster session for the legislature. They proposed over 4,000 separate pieces of legislation. Busy, busy. That's right. And 400 bills became enacted into law. And just a few weeks ago, these bills became effective because after the session ends, then a few months go by, then those laws become effective. And one such law that I want to talk with you today about is the public option that we discussed at length in, I think, a couple of episodes. Yeah. So this public option proposal, what it does is it requires the state through the health care authority to contract with one or more health insurance carrier to offer a health insurance plan on the exchange where providers are paid at 160% of Medicare. So that's the key part of this provision. And an interesting question here to throw in, how excited are providers to be paid at 160% of Medicare, Zach? Well, providers lobbied hard against this legislation. And despite their best efforts, they lost, and it is now law, and the carriers have to figure out, can they enter into contracts with these providers and offer these plans? The idea is the premiums on these plans will be 5 to 10% lower 
than they otherwise would be without this 160% requirement to paying providers. So it's law that these plans would have to be at that 160% of Medicare, but does a doctor have to sign the contract? There's no requirement that a doctor signs this contract, and if no doctors sign up, then there will be no public option plan. Interesting. Okay, but we've got legislation. That's right. We have legislation. I suspect that if no one signs up for this plan, the legislature will come back to the drawing board and create a new law that will have a better chance at success. Maybe they will look at a provision in the law that would require providers to sign up for such a plan. They left that out due to the heavy opposition from the hospitals and, and providers. Sure. But if it doesn't work, maybe they'll look at bringing that in. All right, so that, that was indeed a big one, and the public option is supposed to be available starting January 2021, is that right? That's correct. Not that far away. It's not that far away. So right now you have the state of Washington through various agencies, including the Office of Insurance Commissioner, the Health Benefit Exchange, and the Healthcare Authority working together to, number one, design what these plans look like, they're going to require all the benefits. The carriers will have to just take that plan and offer it and also contract with one of these carriers to offer this plan and, like I said, ensure that their contracts with providers meet that 160% threshold. Big tasks for a pretty short timeline. No other state has done this. And Governor Inslee, in his presidential run, he was asked specifically about this bill in the last presidential debate, and he had to answer for it. His answer was interesting, I thought, where he said that this will have the effect of bringing health care prices down. Big promise. That's right. We'll see if it, if it leads up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's next on your list? Well, I wanted to talk about a few things that I'm tracking for next session. Next session will be a big session, I believe. And one thing I'm looking at is coverage for undocumented immigrants. So you have here, King County Executive Dow Constantine announcing a package of proposals to achieve universal health care in King County. He wants to act and be bold. A lot of people believe that he's running for governor. To run for governor in the state of Washington, you need a health care platform. What he wants to do is lobby the state of Washington to reopen our high-risk pool that is still on the books to provide coverage to undocumented immigrants. The high-risk pool today provides coverage to about 300 individuals. These folks are grandfathered in, but no one else can join. And really, there wasn't a need for them to join after the Affordable Care Act legislation was passed, and people could go to the exchange and buy a policy without answering health questions. That was the historical purpose for the Washington State high-risk pool, which you know, has always been my question, and why does it even still need to exist? But if we've got 300 people hanging out in there. That's right. The reason why it still exists is because there are some people still on the plan, and some of these individuals that are on this plan are undocumented immigrants today okay. who are grandfathered on the plan. And undocumented immigrants are not allowed to get any sort of assistance through the exchange okay. or any other federal assistance. So we said these folks can stay on this plan. Most of the folks on this plan, they're very sick individuals who have HIV-AIDS, who have end-stage renal disease, or things like that. So these folks need this plan. But what King County wants to do is open it up for 
all undocumented immigrants. And this population would be overwhelmingly healthy. So it would be a different population from who is on the pool today, but it would expand what this pool does. And the issue for your listeners, I think, to pay attention to here is how this pool is funded. Today, the pool is funded by placing an assessment on health insurance. So if you buy an insured product, it's on association health plans, and it's on stop-loss plans. So if you expand the amount of people that are in this pool by adding undocumented immigrants, you're going to expand the assessments there. And so I think we need to take a look at that and understand, is that the most fair way to fund coverage for undocumented immigrants? Because what was the price tag? You you had a, at least a number that has been talked about from a budget standpoint. It's unknown. What I can say okay. is that in 2018, the pool, when it has 300 people in it, costs $25 million to Ooh. fund. Okay. $25 million. So you add more people to the pool, it's going to go up, right? And there are other ways to cover undocumented immigrants. Just look at what California is doing. They are covering undocumented immigrants through their Medicaid program, and they're able to leverage federal dollars to do it. And the state part of that was less than $100 million, which in California terms is nothing. Right. Right? Small potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that is a good program for these undocumented immigrants because the Medicaid plan, that's a better plan for this population who is healthy who is very sensitive to prices. I mean, they can't really have any cost sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Because these folks are are usually pretty low income. So that Medicaid plan would would address that issue there. And maybe a good note to add here, because I think people are gonna have really strong feelings one way or another. There's not gonna be a lot of feeling of, you know, kind of in between. So, you know, something probably good for people to keep in mind is that, you know, if undocumented immigrants don't have some kind of health insurance that allows them to seek care from other places, then they go into emergency rooms and other places where, you know, there is cost impact no matter where it comes from. There's no way to not provide or to have some kind of cost associated with caring for people. So I think, you know, maybe that thing to consider or to even, you know, be asking your local representatives about is finding the way that makes the most sense. That's right. Covering undocumented immigrants is a good idea and we should figure out a way to do it. But using the high risk pool funding mechanism might not be the best way to do it. There are other entities that benefit from covering undocumented immigrants, and they include hospitals, providers, and other groups. So if the insured plans are the only ones paying for it, we think that that's not fair, that that should be spread out amongst the other healthcare stakeholders in the state, if you're gonna do it that way, but you can also go this Medicaid route. Interesting, so I'm sure that will get a lot of attention in the next 12 months, at least. I think so. Yeah. All right. Premium assistance. That's right. The public option legislation that I referenced earlier directs the state to look into a state premium assistance program to provide additional premium assistance to individuals who purchase on the exchange up to 500% of the federal poverty level. And for your listeners, the Affordable Care Act 
provides premium assistance to individuals up to 400% of the federal poverty level. Okay. So this would be state assistance on, on top, top of federal assistance. Mm -hmm. California has taken some moves this year. Starting 2020, California will provide state premium assistance to individuals up to 600% of the federal poverty level. In California, they're funding this at $459 million a year, which is even a lot of money for California. It's almost a half a billion dollars. The program will, will run for three years, and they're paying for it through assessments collected through a new state-level individual mandate. You may remember that the federal individual mandate was effectively removed in the tax bill that was passed last year. Interesting. We talk about California a lot on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they come up frequently. That's right. Washington State looks very closely at California at what they do in healthcare, and Washington typically tries to take a stab at whatever California does. Interesting. The PAL line. The provider assistance line is a line, a phone line that's provided to healthcare providers to allow them to get immediate assistance with addressing the mental health needs of children. It's run out of the University of Washington. Any provider can pick up this line and get assistance immediately. There is a call for legislation to permanently fund this line through assessments collected by the carriers. Got it. So through the, you know, through the insured in the state of Washington. Exchange and employer-funded plans or just one? It's yet to be seen. Okay. You may remember from a few years ago when the reinsurance proposal was brought out, reinsurance was proposed to be funded by a tax on third-party administrators. So we could see a third-party administrator tax on any one of these proposals that I just outlined to you. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of passion behind any of these pieces that you're talking about. In mental health care, everyone's talking about it in some form or fashion. And a PAL line, you know, just from my own two cents, seems to make a lot of sense because we know that, you know, even if you have mental health coverage in your benefits, finding a health care provider is really, really hard. There are not nearly enough mental health care providers that are available for the needs that we see out in our right. communities. That's right. And the PAL line is just a piece of addressing our wider mental health care issues in the yeah. state of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to look ahead? Let's do you it. Got I think you outlined three. These are your big three on your watch list for 2020. That's right. I'm looking at three main things, at least right now, as we march into the 2020 elections and the 2020 legislative session. The first has to do with Governor Jay Inslee's presidential run because it has an impact on who is going to run for governor in 2020. As many of your listeners know, Governor Inslee has been on the stage with the other contenders in two debates now. Inslee has staked his rather long-shot bid for president on climate change. He does present himself, though, as a happy warrior. But in the first debate, he spoke for only five minutes, which was the least amount of speaking time out of any candidate. Interesting. But he did redeem himself in the second debate, where he spoke for 11 minutes. In addition, in that debate... He directly critiqued Vice President Biden's climate change plan for not being bold enough. 
He said that Biden's plan does not call for the complete elimination of fossil fuels within 10 years, which his plan does. So he, he got some good headlines on that. Mm -hmm. But the reason why this matters for Washington State is because he's still in the race. And we have an election coming up soon. The contenders in the background who want to run for governor, they are holding off announcing until Governor Inslee decides, does he want to run for a third term? Or does he want to run for president? And he's going to have to make a decision there, correct? Because he can't, I mean, can you do both? You cannot do both in the state of Washington. There's a law that you can't be on the ballot twice in the state of Washington. So if he was running for president, he would be on the ballot twice. So you have two or three people in the background who are looking at running for governor. You have Attorney General Bob Ferguson. Mm -hmm. You have Lance Commissioner Hillary Franz. And you have Dow Constantine, the executive here. So the executive being, in King County. That's correct. Yes. So those folks are looking at running, and they're holding off from announcing until Governor Inslee makes a decision either way. They have to kind of toe the party line until the party decides. Is that kind of the, well, the spirit there? That's right. If Governor Inslee wants to run for a third term, he has a lot of support in the state of Washington, I think. What about Republicans? Are you hearing any about candidates on the other side of the aisle who might run? You know, the, the Republicans have a pretty short bench in the state of Washington when yeah. it comes to statewide, but a lot of folks are looking at someone like Bruce Danmeyer, who is the executive in Pierce County, who has a good reputation. More to come. 2020, you know, it used to sound like it was a long way away, but it is rapidly approaching, and, you know, it's bringing a new election year. It will bring the new legislative session to Washington. It's bringing paid family leave. So everyone should be kind of paying attention and taking notes to figure out what are you going to do next and what kinds of things are you really going to place some value in as you start looking at your ballot for next year, right? That's right. You know, and when you're talking about paid family leave, the person who sponsored that bill was recently elevated to be the new Speaker of the House in the state of Washington. Big change. That's right. After more than 20 years as Speaker, Representative Frank Chop stepped down. He represents Capitol Hill. Last week, Democrats selected their new Speaker, Representative Lori Jenkins from Tacoma. This is someone healthcare stakeholders know very well because she's on the healthcare committee. And just so your listeners know, the Speaker of the House is a very powerful position. The Speaker gets to decide what bills come up for a vote on the floor of the House. If nothing comes up for a vote, it can't pass. In the past, Speaker Chop was known as someone who did not bring the most controversial or boldest proposals to the table because Speaker Chop was concerned with holding the majority in the House. There are eight swing districts in the state of Washington that account for 16 members. His thinking was, if you brought up the boldest proposals on the floor of the House, even if you had the votes for them, that that would put his majority at risk because these eight swing districts would vote maybe the other way. So now that we have a new speaker who has a reputation for being bold and progressive, who has won on paid family leave, who has won on long-term care and other things, Will she bring more bold proposals to the floor? And your prediction is? I think she will. I think Representative Jenkins is someone who has a track record of being successful, who is well-liked in her caucus, 
and who is a bold progressive. Well, and that was one of the things that you said coming into this last session. It was really going to be a new season in Washington to see what would happen because there were more progressives coming in who were younger and demanding that there be some different things happening there than what some of the other Democrats who would fall onto the place of being maybe the older, more moderate liberal side. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Big change. What you had predicted is coming to pass. Well, not everything I predict comes to pass, but you've done a pretty good job with this stuff, though. I think you're, you know, you're you're batting a pretty decent average here. Well, we could see the writing on the wall here. Well, you could, but I mean, sometimes I read things and I'm like, I wonder how how are we to know? And it's interesting to look at the things that we have access to to read, though, and then start to wonder and question, especially after listening to you. I wonder what's really going on behind the scenes, right? Because there's this, the sound bites we get, the things we have, but there's always more going on behind the scenes than what we're getting access to. That's right. The press corps is shrinking in Olympia, which is a shame. That is a shame. It's shrinking everywhere. The Seattle Times is the only entity that is even covering the King County Council these days, and they only do it part-time. So. We have less reporters dedicated to covering what our legislative entities are up to. And there's a lot of legislative entities to cover. There's City Hall, there's the County Council, there's Congress, there's the State Legislature, there's a Sound Transit Board, there's your library district, there's your school board. We need eyes on these things, but the press corps is shrinking because it's not lucrative to produce print media anymore. And so the media companies are figuring out how to operate in this new environment. And they're doing interesting things. They're producing things like podcasts to engage their readers and things like that. So people who, you know, are vested in this, and you should be if you're paying taxes, if you own a business, if you're running a business, if you get a paycheck, right? You should be fairly vested in what's happening, but you might have to work a little bit harder to get the information. So let's, there was a third piece here that you were gonna be watching coming into 2020, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Why don't you just jump into that third one? Right, State Senator Mona Doss, who represents Kent, she defeated former State Senator Joe Fain in a swing district, one of those swing districts I was talking about, after he faced Me Too allegations. She made headlines recently when she accused her Democratic colleagues of racism behind closed doors. So this is not Republicans, this is not the legislature as a whole or some other shadowy individual. These are her own Democratic colleagues in the state Senate. She said that she heard, quote, hate, misogyny, racism, and sexism from people you would not expect. There was an outcry after this quote, and Senator Doss claimed that her comments were not that she heard overt language, but it was more coded language. So she sought to clarify her quote. But now the state Senate is investigating these claims and will produce a report before next session. So something like this report could affect the proposals that the senators pursue next session. Really? In what kinds of ways? Well, if the state Senate is focused on investigating internal claims of misogyny and and racism and things of that nature, then they will have less time to dedicate to other policies. Just like we talked about having unlimited wants and finite resources, there's a finite amount of time in the legislative session. 
Fair enough. Are there some processes or protocols for disciplining people if, if they find that there were issues that definitely align with her accusations? The caucus does have some ways to deal with that. They can remove people from committee leadership. Okay. They can decide not to provide party funds to help someone's re-election campaign. But really, the voters decide who represents them in the legislature. Which is always an interesting thing. You know, I think as my, my dad always says, you know, if you don't like who's in office, look in the mirror. <laughs> it makes me more and more uncomfortable as I get older, right? Because, you know, as we think about the things we love or the things that we don't like, we really have to, you know, take a look at who we are voting for and who are we supporting and what kinds of things are we placing value on when we go to the ballot box and yes. Yeah, that's right. I say all of these things to give your listeners more information because I believe the more people that are involved in the political process, the better results we get out of our politicians. I completely agree and it's one of the beauties of America, right? You can still go to the ballot box and you can still vote whichever way you like and that is a freedom that we should all be incredibly grateful for. And as always, very appreciative of Regents and you know Cambia, who is your parent employer, who sends you out and your willingness of time to share with us because your time is not finite either. And people download and listen to your episodes with quite frequency. So appreciate the voice that you have here with the checkup. Anything else that you want to sound us off with? That's all I have on my docket today. God, it's enough. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for weathering through it with us. And again, this is Danielle with The Checkup. Thanks so much for downloading and listening today. Be sure that you like The Checkup and follow us on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitch, couple different places that you can listen so follow share would love to hear your questions and as always you can connect with zach as well directly he loves to hear from the community we're all in it together have a good